Oh, yes, Dan Housen here. Very nice, very evil, very famous. Here to tell you that you, hopefully, are listening to the Weekend Wrestle Podcast. Yes, it is a wonderful mix of wrestling history, discussion, and comedy. Yes, very good. Isn't that nice? Well, anyways, if you're not listening to it, how do you hear Dan Housen say this right now? But, nevertheless, if you're not listening to the Weekend Wrestle Podcast, you're cursed. <laughs> You're listening to the We Can't Wrestle Podcast. Now it's time for our host, Nate. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 149 of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. The brothers Maxson here with you, Nate, and my brother Aaron. Hello. Hello. And this I week's think other than, oh, I was going to say, I think other than maybe, what, two of them, you and I have been on every single one together? Yes, I think there may have been, yeah, maybe two. Maybe two. Yeah. There was one... There was one when it was just me and Archie, but that was Archie's first episode, and it was like two and a half hours. Yeah. But uh, and then, yeah, Barry, I think that's about it. Your Barry Rose interview, unless that yeah, was, no, was, that yeah, the Barry Rose interview, yeah, that one too. That was it, though. I think that's it. That's so consistent, Aaron Mack. <laughs> this week we are going back exactly thirty years ago. This week, I guess it's this week. Or maybe next week, whatever. But 30 years ago to WCW Halloween Havoc 1991. We're going to take a look at that show. Um, But before we do that, I have a couple of things I want to ask my brother here. He does not know. Aaron does not know I'm going to ask these questions. It's it's on the spot. One is wrestling related. The other is music related. Okay. Which one do you want first? The wrestling question or the music question? Uh, Music. Okay. Not necessarily your favorite band, not necessarily your favorite singer, but give me one album that you would say is from the first track to the last track that you would regard as one of the five perfect albums of all hmm. time. And, and like I said, mine aren't even necessarily like Pearl Jam is my favorite band. But I would not regard any of their albums from beginning to end all the way through as one of my five favorite albums of all time. Like, perfect. Not a bad song on it. All right. It would be American for The Man Comes Around. It's a 2002 Johnny Cash album. It's fantastic. Fantastic fantastic album. Absolutely. Um, Mine, and what made me got to what made me get to thinking about it was I was listening to this album the other day. I guess it's not an album. I was listening to the album on Spotify the other day. I used to have it on CD. It's probably still around here somewhere. But anyway, and I was thinking as I'm listening to it, I'm like, damn, I really do think this is one of the best, like first song to final song, most perfect albums. And it's Traveling Wilburys Volume 1. Yeah. That's a fantastic, like, there's not a bad song on it. I mean, obviously, it's going to be fantastic with all the talent involved, but 
God damn, it's a good album. <laughs> like I was like, I have not skipped a track. Yeah, I have been jamming. <laughs> Everything it, it it all. I don't want to say like their albums. It's like all the songs sounded different, but they all sounded the same. If that makes sense, like mm-hmm. yeah, because all the guys are super talented, so they took different. Like okay, this is a Tom Petty song, but all these other dudes are in it. You know? Yeah, they're like the they're well, the ult- they're the ultimate jam band. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> definitely. Tweeter and the Monkey Man. All right, so <laughs> my wrestling question for you before we get into Halloween Havoc 1991. All right, and I posted the, I think I posted this question in our Facebook group, and I was going to bring it up on the last episode. But I wanted to get into Archie's roster, so I just kind of hastily skipped over it. In the mind's eye of professional wrestling fans, all right, we all know uh, Ric Flair's a womanizer. And we all know Hulk Hogan's a racist. And they both caught a bunch of shit for it. Yeah. Steve Austin's a wife beater. Yet, it seems to be forgiven in the annals of time and in, with wrestling fans, like he doesn't, he's he doesn't get treated like a pariah like Hogan and Flair do and have recently. So I wonder what's, what do you think is the difference? Why do people uh, just forgive the fact that Steve Austin beat his wives? I, I'm just going to be out with it. Do you want to know the truth? Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's because that stuff happened to that stuff happened with Steve. And I'm not saying this is right. Okay. Right. But that stuff happened with Steve before the cancel culture stuff happened. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And but, what it, and I know people go back and look at things, but it it what it wasn't I don't want to say it wasn't big news when it happened. Well, in social media it wasn't a big thing yeah, yet. It was big news in the wrestling community when it happened, but it wasn't like it wasn't like it is now. You know? mm-hmm. If they would probably do like a dark side of the ring and like, oh, let's do dark side of the ring. Steve beats his wife. You know? <laughs> they might be like, people now would be like, what? <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. But and it, maybe, it, and it maybe, happened, maybe it happened in a time when shit like that could be kind of brushed under the rug. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's the people that are of the age that do. And again, like Aaron said, there's no excusing any of the actions of any of these guys. None at all. But I think that that you might be right in that our, our generation on back is much more willing, I guess is the word, to separate the performer from the person. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, not not in the sense of a Grizzly Smith, you know. I mean, I don't know. It's it, degrees right. of extremity. I <laughs> look at. It's not the same thing at all, but okay. Um, Michael Jackson did what he did, and anybody that says he didn't is fucking stupid. Stupid. One. Yeah. one one accusation is an accusation. Fifteen accusations is the truth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and another thing I never got with the Michael thing is like the parents are to blame too. 
You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, you have kids, you have kids, okay? The mm-hmm. first time somebody was like, Michael Jackson touches kids at the Netherland Ranch. And then your kids were like, We want to go to the Netherland Ranch <laughs> unaccompanied. You'd be like, you mean, No. <laughs> you can get we can go to the water park yeah, and I'll be right. I'll be with you. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? So anyway. Yeah. But all that shit came out in like 94 and then he died and people were still like celebrating him and everything and right. going to his concerts and all that shit. And if you look back at the history of performers, most of them were pieces of shit. <laughs> yeah. But we're just like, because they're humans, they're humans and humans are pieces of shit. John Wayne. People still yeah. watch John Wayne movies. And he's like in articles and shit talking about how shit shouldn't be integrated and everything like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, but yeah. still, every Tuesday on Turner Classic Movies, we're gonna watch fifteen hours of the Duke. You know? <laughs> yeah. This wholesome guy. It's like, no, I like his movies, but he's a piece of shit. He's mm-hmm. a racist piece of shit. <laughs> the the Rat Pack. Everybody looks back at the Rat Pack as being these cool cats. They were womanizers. Yeah. Not to talk yeah. politics, JFK. Sure, he's mm-hmm. president, but he was a horrible prick. Yeah, yeah. on his wife and stuff. So, yeah, it's just it's a different era, and now everything's out there, and you can't brush things under the rug. Yeah, and and, and I like the, I like the point you made. I didn't think about it. I like the point you made. If they would bring out a documentary or something now that talked about that, it would get into the, because a lot of the people that are probably 10 years younger than us who weren't, who aren't, who weren't keen to the business or the news or anything back then, maybe they don't even know you you have a point, you know, I mean, Deborah, Deborah's not going on document. Like she's not going on fucking wrestling websites right now saying oh yeah Steve used to smack me around or whatever right you know, she's not doing it and now he's old he's smacking his chick around now you know mm-hmm. now they just look at him as the fun loving beer drinking guy that's eating chicken wings and shit on YouTube <laughs> stuff like that you know and like I said it's just it was a different time mm-hmm. and again I'm not saying folks that I'm I don't enjoy watching Stone Cold Steve Austin and them chicken wings. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm guilty of it just like everybody else. I just, the situation, I, I, I think it was during the whole Ric Flair situation, I got to thinking about it and I was like, you know, there's just a double standard there for some reason to me and I don't quite understand it. But anyway, thank you for, thank you for indulging me. So now that Aaron has indulged me, we are going to dive into... Our pay-per-view review this week. We haven't done a pay-per-view review in a while here on the show. So I was pretty excited to do one. And I wanted to go back 30 years. Halloween Havoc. Like I said, Halloween Havoc 1991. It is October 27th, 1991 at the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee. With an attendance of 8,900. That's not too bad, actually. Yes. Um, um, I, I I know people as say, well, it was papered. I like, well, it probably was. But they still, they had... They had a good crowd, and honestly, the crowd was into the shit. So. Mm-hmm. And keeping in mind, folks, this is um, just about probably four, well, four to five months, maybe six months past when Ric Flair bounced. Yeah, he, he bounced out of WCW and headed to the WWF 
with the WCW World Championship. So uh, eventually there was the infamous Lex Luger-Barry Windham match where the fans chanted, we want flair the whole time, an embarrassing moment for WCW. They're recovering at this point. And and do you know any, the, do you, do you know the uh, story of the belt? The um, the deposit deal? Well, uh, no, like the belt they used. Oh no, I do not. They didn't have time to make a new belt. Eventually, they gave belt that they gave Luger that one that WCW belt they had there until they got that yeah. big gold back. But until they got that big gold back, they didn't have a belt. So they they got like a sticker that said like WCW World Champion, and Dusty Rhodes just slapped that shit on one of these Florida tag team titles he had, and sent him out there. <laughs> Improvised, baby. Yeah. The craziest thing about it is it wasn't like it wasn't like Flair left that day. You know, somebody couldn't have taken the time to commission at least like a. You don't even need to have a. You know, you know what I mean. Like commission something quick. Make yeah. me something quick. Yeah. You know, yeah, he slapped a sticker on it and said, "Get it." I don't. Rem- do they? Do they not show it up close on the pay per view? Because I don't remember seeing. No, I don't. I don't believe so. Okay, because I was going to say I, don't, I. I think that that would have stuck out to me if I'd have seen it. But that's a great story. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm not saying it's 100 percent true because I wasn't there. But that's mm. I've heard that story told by wrestlers more than once. That Dusty slapped a sticker on it and said, "Get it, giddy up, go on out there. <laughs> Time to get a champion, baby." Yeah. So the um, we'll get into. I I, I would definitely want to discuss. Some of the things like Luger is champion, but we'll get into that when we get to Lex, because um, this is my part of probably mm, part of my favorite Lex Luger stuff from eighty nine oh, to ninety one. But definitely. anyway, the opening video, I mean, maybe for ninety one it wasn't, but it looked kind of bush league. Oh no, my, I put the opening is spooky opening with ghostly images of the WCW superstars. <laughs> Actually, I mean, it looked like shit, and it fucking sucked. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you were you were not as nice as I was. I was just like, opening video, kind of bush league. <laughs> That's what my Crash. notes say. <laughs> Crash. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone opened the show. It looked um, like it looked like those video, like the cartoons that they used to try to make, like on the Christian Network. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, when they were going to have a, a Halloween um, TGIF or something on ABC, and they'd show, like, ooh, and they'd show Urkel, and then they'd show, <laughs> it's a spooky night on Family Matters. It just reminded me of, like, a cheap Christian television network cartoon. <laughs> this stuff always looked like trash. But go ahead. <laughs> Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone open the show. The uh, the AEW commentary team here commentating for WCW Halloween Havoc 30 years ago. Um, you know what I noticed? Because I'm doing a... Did I tell you the the trip I'm on right now? A thing I'm doing with the, the pay-per-views of the, of the 90s? The 100 best pay-per-view matches yes, of the I'm 90s? Watching, watching every single pay-per-view, picking the best match on the show, and then I'm going to whittle them down to 100, and then possibly do that as like a thing either on this show or another show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I'm watching these, you know what I noticed about Tony Schiavone? That's it. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. 
Like I never noticed it when he was like in Crockett or whatever, because he always they always did stand ups and he had the mics and stuff. But when they're like sitting there and stuff, he'll just be like, <laughs> like watch him. He doesn't know what to do with his fucking hands, or he'll put him on his fucking belly like a <laughs> yeah. Now that, that like a badger or not like a badger, like a otter or whatever, and he'll just sit there like this. It's like he doesn't know what to do with him, and it's super. It's awkward. <laughs> and I actually like Tony Schiavone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he's sitting there and then you got to turn around and he just does not know what to do with his hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the the uh, we show a, they show a video here of uh, random superstars showing up. I love I love Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack. They pull up in like a cutlass. <laughs> Like Abby's got his like fucking dress pants and his shirt and his stogie. Like of all the two people, why did you pick those two? It's exactly, it's exactly what I thought. Why those two? <laughs> or at least have Abby in his shit. You know what I mean? But no, he's just he's dressed like a math teacher and he's got a stogie. And like you said, they show up in a cutlass. Yeah. Like, why not have him? The cutlass would have been fine. And obviously, they were in a they weren't in a small car because he's got Abby with him. You know what would have been great if they wanted Cactus and Abby to show up? Have <laughs> Cactus pull up and then like open the truck trunk and like Abby's in the trunk. <laughs> you know, don't just yeah. have him in the passenger seat taking off his seatbelt. He's the butcher, for Christ's sake. God damn it, Isaac. Why did they do that? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the, uh, let's see, DDP and Diamond Stud show up. So everybody knows Diamond Stud, the future Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. DDP, the future DDP. <laughs> he remains the DDP. <laughs> um, and, it, and this is a very eager, eager Eric Bischoff doing these, uh, Interviews outside the arena as these yes. <laughs> this 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 uh, array of talent shows up to <laughs> Halloween Havoc. But the point of this is for Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes to show up, and Arn Anderson and um, Larry Zbysko show up and slam Barry Windham's uh, arm hand in the door. A classic. Dusty Rhodes angle, you know. Yeah. And it is funny because if you think about it, it's like real. These guys like show up to work and do their thing. And then all these sudden, these other guys smash him. It's funny because Dusty's like, oh, shit, we got to get you to the hospital. And then they just drive away. Yeah. yeah there's the- <laughs> it's not like Dustin, like, I've never been here before. Where's the hospital? Like, is he just driving around randomly looking for the hospital? <laughs> but thing i will give this segment credit for okay mm-hmm. is old school wrestling they had a reason for the camera to be there eric yeah. bischoff's job was to greet the wrestlers no matter how ridiculous it was right pulling up to the arena like you can imagine you can you can in your mind imagine david crockett producing this show and saying hey eric we're gonna do something interesting. Let's have let's have you stand there as the guys pull up, and you get their words just as they get to the arena, you know. And mm-hmm. then the whole fucking thing happens. If this would have been like WWE now, 
like there would have just been a random camera out there and it just would have happened. Yeah. There yeah. would have been re- like, why was there a camera at that parking lot at that moment? You know, mm-hmm. and, that, and there would have been like a strategically placed raw banner behind it. Yeah. Or something like this was just in a, in a driveway, you know, the, the grass in the background. Yeah, yeah you're it, right. I mean, it's, it looked and, very and it, natural. And it can make sense too, because like, say, say Arn and Larry Zabisco knew, okay, these guys, they, they want us to pull up and talk to Eric Bischoff. We'll sit here and we'll wait for fucking Barry and Dustin to show up. Yeah. You can imagine like, okay, they're making all the wrestlers wait in line at this car, in this car fucking thing to talk to them. And then they're sitting there and they're just looking at him and like, look at this motherfucker. Arn Anderson sitting Arn Anderson sees what they're doing. And he's like, you know what we did to Dusty about six years ago. Yeah, we could probably yeah. pull that off in this scenario. Yeah, so that I liked. At least Arn didn't pull his Glock, so that was good. <laughs> Glock Anderson. <laughs> Armed Anderson is what somebody else called it. And then did you see that meme that said that Arn spelled backwards is NRA? NRA, yeah. <laughs> so up next is one of the most preposterous things. I've ever seen as a wrestling fan. I remember. I remember at thirteen thinking it was pre- preposterous. This is preposterous. I remember being eight and thinking it was cool. <laughs> and this is the Chamber of Horrors match, ladies and gents. The teams are Sting, the Steiner brothers, and El Gigante against Abdullah the Butcher, the Diamond Stud, Cactus Jack, and Big Van Vader. Not the best use of some of the talent. Not the best use of any of the talent. <laughs> well, some kind of a crazy gimmick match. I could see you doing it with, you know, Abby and Cactus or whatever, but. Yeah. And the the first note I have is the order of inductions, introductions for this thing is fucking stupid. It's like yeah, they all don't over in- the place. Like, they- it's L.A. Gante. And then you think, okay, well, they're just going to introduce each member of each team. Like, okay, right. team, one team. But no, like, it's like, oh, team number one, L.A. Gante. And now let's introduce three of team number two. And now here's <laughs> this guy. I say, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, they're not introducing the. I think they introduced El Gante first, then Jack then the Butcher, or no, then the Diamond Stud, then Abdullah and Jack, and then the Steiners, and then Sting. Like, it was very, like you said, it was very out of out of order. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who's on whose team? I don't understand. And, like, Gary Michael Capetta has to stand in the ring and be like, and this match has no rules, and then eventually the chair, the chair of torture is going to lower from the ring, <laughs> and whoever can put their opponent in the chair of torture... And flip the switch. We're winning the match. It's like, oh my god! You feel like Bobby Heenan when, when, whenever he would, like when Bobby Heenan would bust Howard Finkel's balls about get to the point with the Royal Rumble. This time, and this time, you're like, yeah, actually, get to the point. Actually, what is the point? (laughs) Is there a point? (laughs) Good lord! This match is uh, wacky, and then we have the referee. Yeah. With uh, Nick Patrick wearing, wearing a silly helmet, this big helmet <laughs> with a camera on it, and they called it the Refer Eye. 
So there you go. That that's just had to feel like a fucking asshole. <laughs> and you can't tell me you can't tell me that with some of the people in this locker room like a like a Bobby Eaton, Rick Steiner, Aaron Anderson, nobody made one helmet joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just pictured Dusty Rhodes like, listen, Nick, we got great tech we got we got a great idea here. We got technology to put a camera on you so you can be you know, first person view with a referee, and he's like, "Oh, what are you gonna put a camera on my on my lapel here?" What? And he's like, "No, baby, we got a bike helmet. <laughs> All right, we're gonna put a big, we're gonna big put a big, helmet on you. big old goddamn bike helmet with a big old camera on it. <laughs> it weighs it fifteen even, pounds, it like, baby. It ain't even like a spiffy little bike helmet. This is like a bike helmet. <laughs> weighs yeah, weighs forty weighs forty three pounds. <laughs> Good luck, Nick. <laughs> Keep your neck up, buddy." <laughs> what was the deal with the what was the deal with the ghouls in this whole deal? I that that no fucking idea. I didn't even remember that until I because I haven't watched this probably in a few years. They said and even the, they said the ghouls were there to stretcher out whoever got put in the chair of torture. They can't call it an electric chair because it's it's, it's Turner. That's the chair of torture. This is the match of torture my, for my eyes. Yes, I felt like sitting in my recliner was the chair of, tor- chair of torture. <laughs> I don't have any spots written down. Oh, that- there's some. Um, it starts with them brawling outside the cage, which is funny because they say this thing has to stay inside the cage. Well, it starts outside of the cage, and they ring the bell anyway. Um, they show the lever, and it's in the on position. Yes, yes. <laughs> I did notice that. Like, all right, so somebody already flipped the switch. No, I just fell. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking WCW, man. Anyway. <laughs> they didn't, like, nobody was like, hey, like, position your camera and, and, and let's get the shot of the switch. And nobody was like, hey, it's on the on position. Let's not show it yet. They were just like, oh, switch to it. And like, it was like you a know what? part of it too. Oh my you know God. what? People can say what they want about him not being a wrestling guy. Cornette can say what he wants about him not liking wrestling. But you know what? Shit like that doesn't happen with Kevin Dunn. You know what I mean? Yeah. People can say anything they want about Kevin Dunn. But when it comes to producing a television show... From the minute that they started doing this WWF, WWE thing, him and Vince, it's always been a world-class TV production. Look, I guarantee you know? he would have had that shot cropped, looked at it before he said, okay, so yep. cam- cam- camera six. But Craig Weathers is like, camera six. The <laughs> uh, Kevin Dunn would have been like, camera seven, camera seven. <laughs> we can't show camera six. Yeah. So um, it's at this point that I wrote, um, do you think Ric Flair looked at this shit and was glad he left? <laughs> He's like, I, I, I'd rather hang out with that gobbledygooker. Yeah. <laughs> he probably would have been in this. Jim Hurd probably yeah. put him in it. He probably would have been the guy in the chair. To shave his head. That's yeah. why his head, how his head would have got shaved because his hair burnt off in the yeah. chamber. They would have had people like trying to chant like, chair of the flair. But the end of this fiasco is Cactus Jack climbs up. He puts the switch back up in the off position. Like he's seen putting the switch back up in the off position. And Rick Steiner hits the shittiest 
little baby belly to belly suplex put Abby into the chair, and then Cactus flips the switch from off onto on after he already switched it from on onto off, <laughs> and then Abby is electrocuted. It's like me trying to it's like me trying to figure out which fuse is the one that's out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So then he just fries Abdullah, and Abdullah shakes and stuff. They set off fireworks. Yeah. For everything that uh, I'll say this though, you know, Tony Tony Khan's talking about how he's better than Ted Turner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Read those things. Yeah. Well, at least Ted's explosions worked. <laughs> True. So they do this, and then. Um, they just okay. This guy just got electrocuted, and then Gary Michael Capetta's like, "Ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the match." Now that this man's been executed, yes, here's the winners. Yeah, yeah. they they did they did uh, crazy shit with Abdullah during this period. There's that clash of the champions with uh, uh, what is it? Cactus versus Van Hammer. Yeah, and they go, they go. Yeah, he's dressed up like in the big, big, the big. It wasn't even a cowboy hat; looked like a big sun hat or something. And like he's like he's a fucking uh, rancher or whatever, and, and he attacks them out. And the, he throws Missy in the water and mm-hmm. all that. And, and I was honestly gonna say this. Um, I actually like like this was stupid, but I actually liked um, the Sting versus Cactus Jack and Cactus had oh yeah. Some feud and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, man, if they would have been able to like do this like a year ago, instead of like the fucking Black Scorpion or whatever, when Sting right. was like the world champ, that would have been fucking balls. Mm-hmm. But this thing, like, I mean, it's so cool, but he wasn't the champ. You know, he was just the U.S. champion or whatever. Right. But I actually liked the feud, like when when Cactus kept sending him sending him boxes and shit like that. I enjoyed that, but yeah, this was bad. And it 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 should have been. I'd have to go back and watch all the other TVs and everything like that. But this feud, this match stems from Sting feuding with Cactus and Abdullah. Yes. So why is it Rick Steiner? Like, why wasn't Sting the one to electrocute? Right. The butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Sting got no measure of revenge. Yeah. <laughs> It's just yeah. I, I don't I didn't get it. And after the after the match, Cactus realizes he uh, electrocuted Abby, and he starts like rubbing his breasts and trying to wake <laughs> him up. And he's like, "I'm sorry, Abby, Abby, I'm sorry." And then Abby eventually wakes up, goes crazy, beats up the powder people with the on the ramp, and runs away. And that's it, folks. That's There's the a chamber of horrors. And then they're like, we got a lot more coming up. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it can only be uphill from here, right? Nope. Yeah. Next, we have Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt in their Halloween get-ups. Missy Hyatt, looking all the way live, by the way. But anyway, they're going to interview the Young Pistols, who I wrote here. Oh, you Go ahead and see if you said the same thing I said. I wrote here, I like the wild-eyed Southern boys. The Young Pistols doesn't work, and these guys don't work as heels. Um, that's not necessarily the same thing I wrote. I do agree, but what I wrote in parentheses was most underrated tag team ever. They're up there. Yeah. Like those dudes, you're going to tell me I'm, you're going to probably tell me I'm silly or whatever, but 
for what they were at the time, they were rocker esque, man. In my opinion, oh no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think they were very, very good. And like Steve, Steve Armstrong is actually. I put this on a post the other day. Steve wasn't the like biggest star or whatever, but he was the complete package. Armstrong. Yeah. He was big. He could talk, and he could work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Road Dog was a night nice, was a obviously a nice sized guy. Could talk his ass off. Not a very good worker. Right. Brad, super in shape, hell of an athlete. Put the camera on him. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Scott. You know what the Scott? Oh, I'm Scott was a good worker. Couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. You know. And and honestly, out of all of them, didn't have didn't have like the size that all the other guys had. There's not a bad Armstrong in the entire bunch. No, but Steve just and and Jim Cornette's talked about it. Like when he got to the WWF, he was just like, I can't do this. Shit. And that's the, a lot of the things on the Armstrongs, other than other than Road Dog, mm-hmm. you know. And honestly, probably Road Dog probably didn't have that because he wasn't used to like the territory and just staying home. But all right. the other guys were like, "Shit, I can't!" Like, like they said, Steve went up there and fucking went nuts and just left. <laughs> and fuck it, and just bounced. The um, the crazy thing about with Brad is, and I had never in my life until, to be perfectly honest with everybody, as much as I watch a lot of old wrestling and stuff, just because I guess it was never on my radar. Um, in, in, earlier in my life and everything, I had never until probably about a year ago watched literally other than maybe a few clips here and there. I'd never watched continental. Okay. Yeah. So I started and, and it's a great, it's a great territory promotion until it ends and then it's, uh, it's awful. But anyway, I don't understand. Brad was a great baby face promo in that, territory i don't know why he never got to show that or decided not to show that or whatever elsewhere but like it's a completely different personality like i don't know if it was because his dad was with him and he was confident or what it was but the uh the pistols cut a promo and then we get this is very very early 90s wcw ladies and gentlemen we get the tag team of the creatures Mask guys. I think one of them was Joey Mags, actually. Joey Mags and Johnny Rich. Okay. And then they're facing PN News. And Big Josh. And Big Josh, who is Matt Bourne. Um, how about PN, the rap? PN News, one of the lines. Halloween Havoc 91. <laughs> we are here to have some fun. <laughs> what a rapper. At I, PN stopped, I stopped wasting ink after I. <laughs> Did you catch the thing about the rap contest? Yeah. The, the some some lady wrote, wrote this like the rap <laughs> that he wrote or the rap he rapped. She's the one that wrote it. So she wanted she won tickets to the show. And they show her in the crowd. The funny thing about it to me was when they're talking about it. Tony Schiavone goes, "You know what? I'll tell you what. Kathy wrote a darn good rap." 
Well, <laughs> it was like, oh my god! <laughs> it's a bunch of fat kids with bowl cuts from 1991 going, "Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo." The less said about this, the most, unless you want to roast it. Um, not really. Um, WCW should have brought Matt Bourne in and just let him be Matt Bourne. Yeah, like he would have been a great guy. Like, let him be Matt Bourne. Let him cut, like, Matt Bourne-esque promos. And, like, put him with... If you have to, put him with, like, Sting and Abby. Like, mm-hmm. I think, like... I think, like, creepy, like, dirty Matt Bourne versus Sting would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. But no. Nope. We get Big Josh the Lumberjack. Big Josh the Friendly Lumberjack. Teaming with the lead singer of PM Dawn. Because <laughs> that's what that's what PN News looked like. The lead singer of PM Don. That fat it, fuck. I like. And he's there. There's different from being fat, and there's being what PN News is built like. It was so weird. Like he had tits. You know what actual, I mean? Actual tits. <laughs> like he didn't even have tits. Yeah. But he had tits. Like, they jiggled and shit when he ran around. It was bad. I don't remember on this pay-per-view, when he went up for his finisher, did they start the music before he even won? Not on this one. They used okay, to I wasn't... I, I wasn't they do that when he was in singles matches on, like, Saturday Night or Worldwide. No, yeah. they didn't do this you, you know what I always thought was funny about that? They never did it. But he should have done it at some point, and then he didn't get the pin, and then the he thing was like... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the uh, PN News and Big Josh go over here in this matchup, and uh, it was essentially just a squash for those guys to establish a team that I don't know if they ever even teamed again. So up next is a good match. Hey, like, you want to keep going with that, Big Josh? He was like, no, baby, no, baby, no. <laughs> i go be doink. See you later. Get Cannonball Grizzly away from me. Yeah. The next match is a really good match. Oh, yes. We have Bobby Eaton against Terry Taylor. At this point, he is the tailor-made man Terrence. and part of part of the York Foundation with Alexandra York, of course, who is Terry Runnels. Um, I, I actually have here... Um, well, I have Ask Aaron and Archie, but Archie's not here. But Ask Aaron, Duck and what, do, <laughs> what do you think? What do you, What is your opinion of the York Foundation? Like, what do you think of the whole deal? I think it's the best thing. That, go ahead. You tell me. What, what did you think I'll of the whole thing? I'll tell you what I think. Um, when Mike Rotundo was in it, I wasn't a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly going to say this. I'm not a huge Mike Rotunda fan. I've been on record of saying that. I enjoyed IRS. But mm-hmm. anything anything Mike Rotunda did that wasn't IRS, I think, is boring. Um, but when they got it with Terry and, and, and like, um, Mr. Hughes and Richard Morgan, or Richard Morgan, Richard, Richard Morton, <laughs> I kind of liked it. And I, I actually liked the computer gimmick and, and all that shit. And I think if – I honestly think if they wouldn't have got Rick Rude, 
and then started doing kind of the 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 idea of the dangerous alliance it probably mm-hmm. would have it probably would have went longer and they probably would have done more with it but yeah when you got dangerous alliance and the york foundation right the york foundation is going to go down a couple of pegs i agree with you that's why i wanted to ask because okay so a lot of what wcw is doing here the chamber of horrors the silly the silly shit that we see it's always, it always to me comes back to WCW trying to do, instead of being WCW, they're trying to do what Vince does. Yeah. You know, be sports entertainment. Nobody's done, nobody done or will ever do sports entertainment like Vince McMahon. This was, I thought the York Foundation was one of the few times they hit the mark on sports entertainment. You know? Yeah. They, they, they made it. I don't know. I, I liked it. I, I dug it. Um, and it, it was it wasn't it wasn't unplausible either, right? There's computer programs that you can put somebody's stats in, and this is how many matches he's won. This is how many matches he's lost. He's won the match with this move. He's lost a match with this move, right? Da, 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 and then it tabulates out. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> the chair of torture and fucking ghouls. Not a thing. Not a thing. So let me ask my question. Okay. I put Terry Taylor underrated, overrated, or correctly related, related, rated. I think he is. I think he's underrated in the ring. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he was in the ring. From everything I've ever heard, as far as his pushes and everything goes he, he was his own worst enemy he was yeah. he was he tried he politicked in the wrong way to politic you know yeah. but i think i think in the ring he's underrated i don't think he gets credit credit for as good as he was i don't think um, he does either and and one yeah. of my favorite one of my favorite kind of yeah oh i was i was about to say one of my favorite shit heel like little teams of, ever, of all time is him and eddie gilbert yeah when they were together you know when in the UWF, and then when WCW or NWA bought out UWF, and I know they wanted to like, I know like people pattern a math for Ric Flair and things like that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and this there's rumors that the Red Rooster was supposed to kind of be like a a, a mocking of Ric Flair when it was a heel, you know, like they were mm-hmm. gonna strut like a chicken and shit like that, like making fun of Flair at first, um. But I don't even. He doesn't even put me in mind of Flair. Like he puts me in the mind of like, uh, like when he's in his matches and he's being a heel. He reminds me more of Tully Blanchard. I can see that. This is yeah. little little shit heel that's in the ring, and and unless he's getting the advantage, he's running away and doing mm-hmm. all this. Stuff. Yeah, but I, don't, I mean, we don't want to talk too much about Terry Taylor. More than that, yeah. I just wanted to yep. get your opinion on it. And what I will say is the. I think that the as we review as we review pay per views and stuff, I don't think we've ever, and that's the reason I say I think he's underrated as a worker, at least as far as in our eyes would go. Because to be perfectly honest, I can honestly say every time he's ever been in a match on a pay per view or something that we reviewed here on the show, as we look back retrospectively at wrestling, we've always said Terry Taylor was in a great match on this show. Terry Taylor was in a great match on this show. Uh-huh. You know. Um, one of my favorite matches is actually from, uh, I think it's WWF 
World Tour. It's either 89 or 90, the Coliseum video. The match is in England, and it's Kurt Henning versus it's Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning versus Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster. Yeah, isn't that the one where they got to stop it early, though, because he punches him in the fucking face? Yes, but the <laughs> match itself the match itself is fantastic. Yeah, they fucking Kurt. He didn't do it on purpose, but Kurt clocked the fuck out. Yeah, he, way, he waylays that motherfucker. <laughs> He's like, oh, and he just pins him. <laughs> but leading up to that, it's a fantastic match. See, <laughs> so yeah, overall, this one was good. Bobby Eaton wins this matchup. All right, so any more notes on this match before we move along? Nope, it's just you're never going to have – it's hard to have a bad match with Bobby Eaton versus Terry Taylor. I mean, exactly. Up next, we get Johnny B. Bad. And you know what? For everything everybody says about Mark Marrow – I was a fan of Johnny B. Bad. I was a fan of him from probably 91 until, I don't know, until he wrestled DDP on every pay-per-view in 94 or whatever. But I thought the early Johnny B. Bad was good. Um, He had potential. But in this match, he is up against Jimmy Jam Garvin. This is trash. (laughs) It has a hot start. Like, the match starts hot. I just, I'm not, okay, I'm not a, okay, you said, oh, Johnny B. Bad, I like Johnny, I never liked Johnny B. Bad. I know. (laughs) Creepy, I don't like the whole, like, even when he was a heel, it was fucking weird, and I didn't like it. I don't like him as a baby face, I don't like him as Mark Marrow. Wild Thing, or whatever the, Wild Man, whatever the fuck he was, I don't like it when he's in his, Goddamn athletic shorts. I never liked the guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Jimmy Jam Garvin, I did like. Mm-hmm. I liked him when he was gorgeous, Jimmy Garvin. And to me, these aren't the fucking Freebirds. Like, they should have been someone else. And I know, like, Michael Hayes would be like, well, in real life, he really was like the fourth Freebird. But this is like when the Freebirds were lame, man. Like, everything about this fucking match is lame duck to me. It's lame. I have... bad watching this match. I have not a lot of notes. Shouldn't. (laughs) Notes on it. Johnny B. Bad wins. And that's that. I think, was it originally supposed to be Michael Hayes versus Johnny B. Bad? I don't know. I think Michael Hayes... No, Michael Hayes was supposed to wrestle. They 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 mentioned it earlier. Michael Hayes was supposed to wrestle Bill Kazmaier. Oh, okay. But he was replaced by Oz. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> now we go from that debacle. This show a- just really goes south here in a minute. I'm just saying. After this one, it's just it goes really south. Yeah, there's still one more diamond in the rough. Well, but anyway. We're about to talk about it, but this thing goes south here quick. For the WCW World TV title, these two guys always, always had a good match. I don't know that I've ever seen a bad match between Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes. And this match was great. It goes to a 15-minute time limit draw, so Austin retains his title. And that's one of the coolest things that they would do especially when they had a heel TV champion, because Regal did Regal played the time limit game a lot during his run. 
And it was always, it, to me, if it's not overdone, and to me, they did it perfectly. They would do perfect timing with it. Whoever was the, I don't know if the TV title had a constant, like, show, like a showrunner, if you want to call it that or what. But it was always, to me, the best booked title in WCW. Yeah. Uh, it was probably, like, I don't know, Kevin, probably. Mm-hmm. Somebody like that that was just consistently there. Like, it's not the same thing, but, like, I was thinking about this the other day. You know what Kevin Sullivan is? He's kind of the Pat Patterson of WCW. Yeah, yeah. Always around, consistent, good finishes, good ideas. He might not always be in charge, but he was always there to be like, Mm -hmm. hey, Kev, what would you do in this situation, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, and he was he was he was usually let's be honest as far as the business goes in whatever little booking committee they had or whatever he was probably the smartest. Yeah, like I, I was reading that Nitro book by Guy Evans, which if you haven't read it, folks, it's a great book. It gets behind the scenes and a lot of stuff that even I didn't know, even reading dirt sheets and stuff that you know, a lot of interviews he does. But after uh, WrestleMania fourteen the initial, what they thought the buy rate was for WrestleMania 14 was a 1.8, which was like 20% less than Starcade 97, okay? And Eric Bischoff was like, essentially in the back with the crew and stuff, like, oh, if they spent all that money on Tyson and they had all that hype for Austin and Michaels and blah, 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 and they only got a 1.8, there's no way. I'm putting Vince out of business. And Kevin Sullivan said to him... That's what you get after it, not what you got into it. Well, what Kevin said to to Bischoff was, the water's cold, brother. And Bischoff said, what do you mean the water's cold? And Sullivan said, we're about to hit the iceberg. (laughs) And he was right, you know? Like, he he saw it. He saw the right... And then the buy rate came back, and it was 20% above what Starcade 97 did. So... Yeah, Sullivan was always – I think he was always the smartest guy in the room in WCW. And also, when, it, when you think about, it, like, all of those booking committees and everything, who was the one guy that was always on them? It was Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Well, he was probably the most diplomatic of them all, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, like, people – like, he had – and this isn't the Kevin Sullivan show, but um, – and I don't even know how I got – well, it's because you said who you think booked these this title thing. But anyway, that's just what I think. I think – like I said, I think he's the Pat Patterson of WC. Do I think he's just – was as talented as Pat Patterson? No. Mm-hmm. He kind of had the same idea but would do different reiterations of it. But, like, I, that's just what I think he was. And like you said, it's even in my notes. These guys have never had a bad match. Um Dustin Rhodes is one of the best bleeders in the history of professional wrestling. Um, dude always got good juice. And JR says something in commentary that was kind of prolific. You know what it was? What's that? He's in, he's like, if I'm in charge, I'm drafting Steve Austin, number one pick. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> Who was the first person he pushed for when he became director of talent relations? Steve Austin and Mick Foley. Those are the yeah. first two guys he pushed for. Yeah. Actually, he legit says that. Like, it, uh, it's not the, those exact words, but he was mm-hmm. like, "If I was in charge, he's like, if I had char- if I was in charge of a bit of a whatever an athletic com- committee, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yep. Yeah. Like, if I was in charge of picking the talent, Steve Austin's my number one draft pick. 
said that in 1991. And he wasn't wrong. Nope. Um, Austin and Dustin, like I said, they go to a 15-minute time limit. Austin, Dustin looks great because he he almost beat the champ. He just couldn't run out the clock. And like you said, he, he bled well. Austin looks great because he is the, the – him – Hit him at the, as as this in this title run. I'm stammering here. Him in this title run, Regal in his WCW TV title run, and John Bradshaw Layfield in his WWE title run are the three best at this kind of a title run. You so know, escaping by the skin of their teeth. Escape, and, and when they leave, they're holding their hand up high, but they're holding their ribs. Yeah. And, you know, just fantastic. Great stuff. Well, let's, and we can end it on this, but let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What do you, and I probably know the answer, but I did write this down. What do you like better? Do you remember what they used to do with the TV title? Like in Mid-Atlantic? Like the Crockett's, what they used to do with it? Where they defended it on TV every week? Well, they did defend it on TV every week, but they would say, um, you have 10 minutes to beat the champ, and if you can't beat him in 10 minutes, then the match, he, like, they, they did it where if if it was a, it, it's 10 minutes to beat the champ, but it wasn't a 10 minute time limit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it goes past the 10 minutes, it's not for the yeah, title it's anymore. It's not for the title anymore. I I don't know. I like both of them. I always thought that was kind of a cool little gimmick. No, I I, I dig that. I dig that. Like, because you get you're building anticipation with the audience. You know, as that ten minutes comes up. You know, is 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 this Kendall Wyndham's day? <laughs> you know what I mean? To beat Tully. Then say he gets the pin at like twelve minutes. He could be like, oh man, if I would have had that extra time, and like I beat you. Yeah, but yeah, I just and I, then I, and then they and then next week and you know, next time they have a fifteen minute match. Yeah, it's like oh, I liked both. I liked both, but this this was fun and there, um, there was so much stuff you could do in territory wrestling, like from from territory to territory. You you go back and watch it now because we obviously you know I'm forty three, Aaron's forty forty thirty eight, buddy. 38. <laughs> anyway, of our age, most of the territory stuff that we've seen is stuff that we've gone back and watched later on in life. So we didn't live through territory wrestling. But as I watch territories, that seems to me to be the coolest thing about it was that you could you could do stuff like that from territory to territory and it works and you can do it with different people. And then you you do something and then you give it like two or three years, you cool it off and they kind of forget that you did it. <laughs> and then you do it again, yeah. you know, with two and, different guys. And, or a guy leaves and he can take it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Could be never like, do- oh, man, I did this. I did this in fucking Memphis. Right. You've seen it. Let's do it. And, mm-hmm. and even if you do like go back and watch it, rewatch it and you see it, it's like, ah, eh, it's kind of similar, but it's different because it's different people. Right. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, like, there's ten wrestling angles. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the next deal. Oof, it is Bill Kazmaier, the world's strongest man. I'm sure a very nice fellow. Against Oz, as we all know, Kevin Nash. 
Um, I think the Oz gimmick is about to die out here. We're about to head into Vinny Vegas, but uh, Kazmaier. Um, ca- go ahead. As to say, he comes out with his his giant weather balloon painted like the globe. Like they could have. He's this. He's legitimately built like a shit brick house and, and can pick anything up. They can't give him like a solid like plastic globe. They gave him an inflatable globe. Like when he's walking, you can see it like bouncing. It's like this, like a. He said it's like a weather balloon or something. It's like <laughs> it looks ridiculous. Let's put it that way. It looks ridiculous. Uh, the match isn't good, and. The thing about it, the thing about this too, is it was like, okay, so we have this match, Bill Kazmaier, who's supposed to be the world's strongest man, and Oz, who is this big quote-unquote monster, and they worked so soft in the match. Like, while I'm watching it, like, everything looks so dainty and everything. I didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And at this point, let's be honest, Nash probably didn't. He was pretty green. Yeah, still but too. if Kevin Nash wanted to, he probably could have just cross-checked that motherfucker and knocked him right out. <laughs> true, true. Like, Bill Kazmaier is probably the strongest man and, like, could pick some heavy shit up. But Kevin Nash, you can say what they want to say about him, but that guy could fuck anybody up if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And it's also a proof positive of sometimes WCW didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Because why would you have... I got seven foot and looks like Kevin Nash and have no fucking idea what to do with this guy. Yep. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The, um, ridiculous. The, yeah, and it, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say in the beginning, the beginning of what they did with him in the WWF, you can see Vince knew what to do with him. Yeah. You can say what you want about the 95 title run being a failure. And it was, but that's because they changed him. But when he was first that monster with Shawn Michaels and the Royal Rumble in Providence and et cetera, et cetera, man, he was he was the hottest thing in that fucking company. Yeah. You know, and the proof positive, it, people can say what they want to say about Vince McMahon. And now, like I say every week anymore, there are two Vinces. There is the Vince McMahon that we grew up with and there is old Vince. Like now I can't say Vince McMahon can look at a talent and know exactly what to do with them because he obviously doesn't. But back then, Vince McMahon looked at a talent and knew exactly what to do with them. And the most interesting thing about Oz ever is the monkey story. Do you know the monkey story? I have heard I have heard the monkey story, but I think you should tell the listeners the monkey story. Kevin Sullivan either dropped the monkey and didn't meet like okay, when Oz first debuted he had he had a monkey, and he had Kevin Sullivan with him, and Kevin Sullivan was was the wizard, and he was welcome to Oz, welcome to Oz, and he had a monkey, okay, and apparently the monkey had a collar, and either Kevin Sullivan had the monkey on his shoulder and dropped the monkey and didn't realize it, or the pyro went off scared the monkey and it jumped off his shoulder and according to Tony Schiavone this monkey hung itself <laughs> and the monkey died 
<laughs> so as Kevin Sullivan was like, welcome to Oz, welcome to Oz. He was dragging a dead he was monkey. dragging a dead monkey and then had to go back with the dead monkey and <laughs> took it back to the handler and was like, sorry. Sorry about the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody told the monkey life was going to be easy. This short. <laughs> Could you imagine you're the handler, like you you rent your monkey to these people, and then they shoot off some pyro and fucking snap its neck, and, <laughs> and, and he's wearing a wizard mask, and he's like, "Sorry, like I didn't mean it." Fucking WCW man. <laughs> That's how much a monkey is. Monkeys aren't cheap. Ah, uh, Kazmaier wins this thing. And you know what the dumbest part is about the finish of this match? What's that? I know he's not using it as his finisher, but he uses one of the WCW World Heavyweight Champions finishers to win this fucking match. Like, nobody was like, hey, Lex does a torso rack. He's our champ. Maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't do that. I know Luger was pile-driving people at this point, but it's still... yeah. You know, John Cena still did the STFU sometimes, but nobody else was going out there and doing the FU. Right. Because guess what? He might need to polish that shit off. Mm-hmm. And use it. But no, fucking mid-card weather balloon motherfucker <laughs> putting Monkey Man up in the fucking chance finisher. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> the next match is terrible. Are you fucking kidding me? That's what I wrote. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this is on pay-per-view. It is. It is. Check this out, folks. <laughs> it is Van Hammer versus Doug Summers. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and guess what? I'm going on record. Van Hammer is the worst professional wrestler in the history of wrestling. The worst. The worst. Because even the shittiest wrestler still knew how to work their gimmick. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this. I'm going to compliment Brutus Beefcake. Brutus Beefcake sucked in the ring. Sucked his promos. When you look at him, nothing's going on. He's got the brain equivalent of Bill Kazmaier's fucking globe weather balloon. Okay. Like, what's going on in that balloon is what's going on in Brutus Beefcake's head. But at least he knew how to work his gimmick. Van Hammer can't stomp right. He can't twirl his guitar properly. He can't even pretend like he's playing the guitar properly. He tries to, like, do, like, the Van Hammer rock thing and try to get the people to do the We Will Rock You, and he can't even stomp properly. That guy is fucking garbage. And his hair looks like ramen noodles. (laughs) Well, he got to squash Doug Summers at Halloween Havoc 1991 in Chattanooga. Look at fucking dust off Doug Summers. (laughs) He looked like shit. He looked like he hadn't worked in years. He probably had. I know, but like, where did they find him? (laughs) Like, of all the people. That's right. That's what like, I was I say. That's honestly what I'm saying is I don't remember Doug Summers ever being on WCW again. I don't think so. I don't think he was on WCW before. 
<laughs> like, I don't remember Doug Summers in the WCW. So what the fuck? You couldn't get Barry Horowitz? Well, that's what I was going to say. And also... Couldn't like, get Wayne Gill or Dusty Wolf. Well, and this pay-per-view's in Chattanooga. I could understand if the pay-per-view was in Minneapolis. You know, dust off Doug Summers from the AWA. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? This was like, this This should have been a dark match. If that. Or, or not a match at all, yeah. Not a match at all, but on the fucking pay-per-view? You fucking kidding me? The next match is good. Eh. It's okay. It's Brian Pillman and Ricky Richard Morton for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship, the tournament final. Um, actually, hold on a second here. I, I don't have I don't have a lot of notes on the match just because I watched it and I, I essentially wrote two pros. Of course, it's good. So I don't have. But what I will say is, is this. I have here in front of me the the brackets of this tournament. Not brackets. <laughs> the brackets of this tournament. Brian Pillman got a bye in the first round. I don't know what happened there. I don't know why that happened. I don't remember. But anyway. So he got into the semifinals. The next match was Joey Maggs versus Bad Street. So Joey Bad Maggs versus Brad Armstrong. Yes, and Bad Street won that match. The next match was Mike Graham against Terrence Taylor. Mike Graham won that match. Okay. And then Richard Morton against Johnny Rich. So then your semifinals were Pillman versus Bad Street, which I'm sure Pillman versus Brad Armstrong was really good. Fantastic. Pillman went over, and of course, Richard Morton went over Mike Graham, which I'm sure that was a good match, too. Yes. Um, so anyway, this is your finals, Pillman and Morton. And I thought I really I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was good. Like I said, I don't have a lot of notes on it because I was I was watching the match, to be honest. I wasn't taking a lot of notes. Yeah, and like I said, I no, I didn't hate it, but I think I, I remember liking the match more than I liked it when I watched it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just – to me, it was like, okay, this is the light heavyweight championship, but it didn't seem to pick up. You know, like it was a good match, but to me it wasn't like this is this is not – this isn't the match to showcase your light heavyweight. Like I would have rather – I would have rather – if if I'm gonna have my light heavyweight championship final, I'm gonna have it be that Brad Armstrong Brian Pillman match. I bet that thing mm-hmm. was fucking gangbusters. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. guys didn't do anything to get people off their fucking ass. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And like, could it be? Could it be that? Um, I mean, at this point, Brian's what two years in? Did he start in eighty nine? Eighty eight, eighty nine. We got to WCW then. I think he started a little bit before. Well, what I, I guess what I'm saying is, could it be could it be a matter of his not? He's not a veteran yet, you know. He's still growing as a performer, and I never and Ricky working as a heel. I know that's what I was going to say. Like Ricky wasn't supposed to be doing all that shit right now because he was in the York Foundation. So I just like I said, I, I think it was just 
I think the finals were miss misbooked. Misbooked. Yeah. Well, like, Brian, if you're not going to have Robert win it, why even put him in the finals? And I know it was because they could get Ryan Pillman a win over Ricky Morton or whatever, but right. Yeah, I just I remember the match being better than what I thought it was when I was a kid. Brian Pillman wins the light heavyweight championship with a high cross off the top for the win. And up next, we are we are what do I want to say? We are treated to uh, well, later on, it'll it'll turn into that. But at this point, we are treated to what is going to wind up being one of the more positive things about the early 90s WCW. Well, before that, we get uh, Missy Hyatt trying to interview Bobby Eaton. Find out if he knows who the Hollywood fan or Hollywood. Halloween, Halloween. Halloween Havoc Phantom is. And he says, why are you trying to interrupt me, Missy? I'm just trying to celebrate because I just won my match. And he just has a pumpkin. <laughs> What's he doing with the pumpkin? Bobby Eaton's a simple man. All right. Let's celebrate with his pumpkin. <laughs> it is the WCW Halloween Phantom against the Z-Man, Tom Zink. Um Should have been a heel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tom Zink. Um, I don't know if he, I don't know if he played hardball and never wanted to turn heel or what, but he was a babyface his whole career and didn't work as a babyface. <laughs> if that makes sense, like you, you're, you, you want to be the opposite of what you should be. <laughs> well. <laughs> Anyway, from everything I've heard in real life, the motherfucker was like, nobody hated him, but in real life, he was like a heel. Yeah. Cocky. And I don't know if you ever heard any of those interviews he did with Meltzer back in the day on uh, back, back when they had like the internet radio shows or whatever in the early days of, and I mean, yeah, totally a fucking heel. Like Like he should have been, been I'm going to come to Atlanta. I'm going to win my match and I'm going to fuck all your bitches. Mm-hmm. Type of guy, and they just didn't do it. I don't under- I don't understand why. Nope, me neither. The Halloween. Just, I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you again. That's all right. And I know, like, we've had debates before about Tom Zank, but like in the ring, he was good. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I just think that dude would have been that dude would have had a better career if he just would have been a bad guy. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Um. Not to talk about another podcast, but on the Stick to Wrestling podcast with John McAdam, he brought up that back back when the whole deal the whole deal we talked about at the beginning of the show with Ric Flair happened where he left WCW. He said, My fantasy booking at the time, because he said the same thing we just said. Tom Zink should have been a heel. And he said, My fantasy booking at the time would have been Ric Flair leaves. And you do some kind of a shitting on Flair shoot thing because he just left. You know, you do it, whatever. He said, Tom Zink puts on the robe. Tom Zink walks to the ring and says, you don't need Ric Flair. I'm the nature boy, (laughs) you know. And there you go, gangbusters. And, you know, it probably would have (laughs) worked. Yeah. It would have got tons of heat. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Because then people would have been like, you ain't Rick Flair. Right. We ain't no Rick Flair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I thought of him more of like a, not Rick Martel, but that type of thing. But yeah, that right. probably would have worked. Like, it, it just, I don't know. Like, when he left, like, WWF, and like, that was the other thing the guy do, would do. He'd just get pissed and fucking leave. Leave. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. Well, Z-Man is facing the Halloween Phantom. Uh, first of all, the Phantom, they did not do a good job disguising who the Phantom was. It's obviously Rick Rude. And uh, they and didn't Tony even give him... Shabani goes, oh. That's a Rude Awakening. That's a Rude Awakening. There's only one guy I know that can hit it like that. And he doesn't say who it is, but he just... It's like, ugh. Fuck yeah, they do, they, yeah. Do, they do absolutely a terrible job of disguising who this guy is. But that's okay because it's going to it's going to result in well my I know you too our favorite run of Rick Rude's career. Yes. Is his run in the early 90s in WCW. Um obviously the uh, Halloween Phantom goes over Mr. Zink. Do you think that was I, I don't know if I just like I just thought of it. Do you think with how obvious that was is why Paulie did it in ECW? Uh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt. Yeah, there's n- absolutely no yeah, doubt. I don't know in my why mind. it just popped into my head, but I was like, oh man, he was revving that shit from ninety. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's <laughs> not even a not even a, a, a doubt in my mind that that was what was going on. Um, the next match is for the WCW Tag Team Championships. It is the U.S. Tag Team Champions, the Patriots. Yeah. Go ahead. Go <laughs> Against Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco, the enforcers. And let me tell you, I'll tell you, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco are working machines because they actually got a good match out of these two clowns. <laughs> I like. I, I was watching the match. I was like, this is actually pretty good. It was. And I was going to say this. I knew you were going to talk about them being clowns or whatever. Todd Champion, if I think Todd Champion, if he would have been given enough time to advance his skills and being with the right people with his size and his look and shit, I think he could have done something. Hmm. Fire break a chip, he looks like a little fucking little monkey. I don't think he sucked. That dude sucked. Um, <laughs> Fucking firebreaker chip. Like, what does that even mean? Firebreaker. Firebreaker chip. Anyway. Um, it shouldn't it be firefighter chip? I mean, if you're going to do the firefighter gimmick, you know, or fireman chip, firebreaker. Was it chip? <laughs> anyway, this is bad. Um, well, I shouldn't say it's bad. It's good because it's Arn Anderson and, and Larry Zabisco. Um, which it's funny because it's really just Arn Anderson. If you ask Arn Anderson, because guess what? Did, 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 I, did I ever tell you what I heard Arn Anderson in an interview say that he called Larry Zabisco? No, he used to call him the dime store Indian because he would just stand there in the corner and do nothing. <laughs> like, well, Arn did all the work. Like the, yeah, the Indian that would hold like the cigars or whatever. Yeah, in the yeah he's like you're a dime store Indian. You just stand <laughs> in the corner, and don't do shit. 
I'm out here doing all the work. <laughs> Dinosaur Indian. The cruncher. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the enforcers go over on this. And like I said, I thought that the enforcers got a good match out of these guys. I didn't I did not hate this match. Like I when it first started, I was like, oh, I forgot about this. I'm gonna hate this. And I didn't. I thought it was pretty good. Um we get to uh, one of the highlights of the show here. Eric Bischoff is going to interview Paulie dangerously with Medusa. And I put down here, as we always talk about on the Reliving the Extreme podcast, it's Heyman being Heyman. He's fantastic. fan fucking tastic here. Um, the Paul is so good at at capturing even though everything about him is so fake it's so real you know what i mean yeah. and he's so good at raw emotion and essentially his story is you guys told me i can't commentate anymore so i'm going to put you out of business <laughs> and <laughs> well, i couldn't commentate anymore but you're too stupid to realize i still have a manager's license mm-hmm. when you let me commentate i was complacent and i didn't have to be a manager but now you won't let me commentate and i still have my manager's license so you just basically fucked yourselves like, he <laughs> right yes yeah. he's like i was being good right being a good little company soldier <laughs> And uh, Polly brings out the Halloween Phantom, who, of course, reveals himself. Polly says that he's going to go after the top in WCW to start taking the company down brick by brick. That's a, I think that's a quote. He says, taking WCW apart brick by brick by going after Sting first. And, of course, obviously, the Halloween Phantom reveals himself to be ravishing Rick Rude and... It is amazing what the what difference. Like Rick Rude is almost two different people from WWF to WCW. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's in the WWF, and I'm not even knocking the WWF stuff. He was great there too, but he gets to WCW, and he just gets to be a completely different gimmick and a completely different character, and he's so much more of a badass. Yeah, and, like in WCW, he wasn't. In WWF, he was like a, how do I say it? Like Chippendales dancer. A Chippendales dancer, um, almost coming off somewhat as a cream puff. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Even though he was, mm-hmm. though he was this or whatever. But in WC, like in WCW, he was the guy at the bar that could just deck you with one shot and you go down. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. And he's great here with his promo. Yeah. And every, and this is, we're going to talk about good looking women here. You know what's always funny? Like every once in a while, I just forget that Medusa was hot. I don't know why. <laughs> I was, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I just always forget. I'm like, you know what? Medusa was hot. I don't know why I always forget. Every once in a while, I'm just like, God damn. She's a good looking woman. <laughs> and. Rude cuts the promo. He's going to take out Sting. And this is the beginning of something great in WCW with Rick Rude. The WCW Rick Rude. The WCW early 90s marriage with Rick Rude is, is really good stuff. And, um, I mean, really, it, 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 it mostly ended because of Hulk Hogan. Yeah. You know. But 
that's that. A lot of the good WCW mainly ended with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> true. Very true. Like, oh, oh, we got this good thing going on with like Ron Simmons and Rick Brood and Terry Funk and uh, none of them want to do anything with Hogan because Hogan wants to bring in his fucking fat friends and have him fumble or fuck around for him. I think Brutus like, Reeves. Oh, I think Brutus Beefcake should go over Terry Funk, brother. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's do this with Starcade. I think it should be me and Brutus. Worst fucking Starcade in the history of everything. <laughs> fucking, um, oh, oh, what? The NWO? Okay, yeah, yeah, you got into that. That was cool, you know? Then the NWO started running its course. It was, uh, It was getting bad. Okay, nobody cared about that shit. But, oh, oh, the Wolf Pack. People like the Wolf Pack. They're buying that shit. Well, you better put me in that, brother. Yeah, give me a big sock hat, brother. Give so me a big sock hat so I can act like I'm cool. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. You ruin everything, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> everything you did after 93, you even ruined 93. Oh, oh, Yokozuna. I'm going to ruin him. Yeah. It's going to take another year to get him back. Jesus Christ. Fuck you, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I just realized Hulk Hogan ruins everything. <laughs> so up next is the WCW TV, or WCW, the WCW World Championship match. That should be a podcast we do. Like when Hulk Hogan ruins everything? Yeah, Hulk Hogan ruins everything. And I'm just going to figure out all the things <laughs> that Hulk Hogan ruined. <laughs> It's two out of three falls for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Hulk Hogan even ruined Hulk Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name of the podcast. Hogan ruins Hogan. That's the ultimate. That's the finale of the podcast. We're going to get to that eventually at the end. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Simmons, Ron Simmons challenging Lex Luger for the WCW World Championship. Two out of three falls. And there's a couple of notes here that I wanted before we get into the... I don't have a lot of notes on the match itself. But first of all, this match... They they, they did a great video package on Ron Simmons. I got to give him credit. Yeah. The video package before the match was great. And then also one other pre-match thing. I got to experience two in the same match. Two. Count them two, ladies and gentlemen of my favorite ever WCW entrance themes. Yeah. The Ron Simmons slash Doom entrance theme and that cool-ass Lex I don't know why they didn't use that when he came back. That's a cool fucking entrance, man. I love that tune. It is. And that, <laughs> like, that, yeah, that fucking Ron Simmons' Doom music is fantastic. Oh, that's one of the best entrance themes in wrestling yeah. history. And it's funny, like when they start WCW Saturday Night, and I'm not being, I'm not being, you know, whatever, because I, I, I dig it when he's in WCW and they're doing the fucking um, shit on Petrie in Atlanta, mm-hmm. letting all the inner city kids in for free and shit. When Ron Simmons comes out, they show that crowd, all them kids are getting it and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like I said, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not making fun. I'm saying like that. Those kids. Oh, it was yeah. It was, dude looks they, like us. He's in our community. It's he like got, JYD. It's like JYD in New Orleans. Kick ass music. 
And them them boys were out. Those boys were out there just getting it. Teron Simmons music. <laughs> it's it's great. It's a yeah, it's a great fucking theme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's and a great wrestler. Great wrestler. He's fucking cool as fuck. <laughs> yeah. He's smooth. He's terrifying if he needed to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. yeah. And um I still say this. And like you said, I even have it in my notes like this they did an actual really good job at making this seem like a big fight feel. Yes. Mm-hmm. You said like with like the video packages and the entrances and and Nick Patrick doing the the rules and being like you got to go Hughes you're not supposed to be out here and things like that and yeah it was it was it was really done well done and I've said this for a long time I don't think well it was a pivot because they put Luger in it but. I think initially when this idea was brought up of Ron Simmons trying to go for the championship, it was supposed to, it was supposed to be Flair. Oh yeah. Like they were going to put Flair and Harley race together. Mm-hmm. I really do think that. Like it wasn't like, Oh, they were going to do something completely else. Like this was going to be Rick Flair feuding with Lex Luger. I think it was going to be Flair versus Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm. And Flair bolded. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that, and actually Flair, Oh, Flair and Race together. That would have been... That's what I'm saying. That was, <laughs> that was the idea. But this match is good. Yes. It's not great, but it's good. Um, and I was going to... I said at the beginning of the show I was going to touch on this later when we got to this match. This is my... From 89 till he leaves in 91 is... Not even 89, probably 9091 is my favorite Lex Luger stuff. Uh, this, this, this rain, you know, a lot of people look at it, it, it kind of gets looked down upon because it is the thing that they did after Flair left. But I actually liked Luger with Harley Race as the heel champion in WCW. I think it worked. I think, you know, he, he filled the role well. Did he bring business up? Probably not. But for me watching, I don't give a shit about that. I just watch what I watch and like it. And yeah. I thought he was, I think he was, a, he was a decent heel, a good heel champion. And the package deal with him and race and Hughes, I thought was cool. And I, I got to give it to Luger. I think he, he, he helped keep the company afloat at this point. Yeah. And I put that in my notes. It's 88 to 91 for me. Like when he's with first with the horseman and then broke off. And like when they did like the shit in the battle Royal where, um, they wanted JJ to win the battle Royal and wanted him to eliminate himself. And he got mad and dumped them all out and all that shit. Like that mm-hmm. was good shit. And Flair led him through some great matches. And then the 88 to 91 you put is your favorite Lex Luger. I put is the only good Lex Luger. <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> Anything after that is just garbage. <laughs> the narcissist is boring. The Lex express Probably would have worked in 1988. Didn't work in 1993. He was boring in 1994 through 1995. And in WCW, he was a directless, like a, I can't speak. Directionless? (laughs) Yes, fucking mess. I agree. the The only time I enjoyed him in WCW 
after he went back was that brief period of time where he was pretending to be a baby face when Sting would be like looking at him mm-hmm. and then he'd like be a heel when he wasn't looking at him. But it was like ever it was he was boring. Boring. Yeah. As we were talking about right now, we're talking about nineteen ninety seven on my show. Jesus Christ, Lex Luger and the Giant. That is so fucking boring. Yeah, what a yeah, what a cold what a cold thing that is. God damn. This is like NPR at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, any notes on this match before we wrap up Halloween Havoc? Um Simmons beats him quick with the spine buster. And that, that was a good call to me. Cause like, it basically said, look, if this wasn't two out of three falls, Luke would have been fucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once and I don't, I, I don't remember if they have a return match on this, but if they did, that was the way they could have done it. They could have been like, look, man, if it wouldn't have been two out of three falls, I got you in like five minutes. You motherfucker. Right. You know I mean? And, and, it was cool having Dusty out there. Dusty and Race kind of got into a little bit. It, it was cool having Dusty out there, but it was classic Dusty having Dusty out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he came out with Ron, that was what I thought. I was like, look at Dusty. <laughs> yeah. For one, he's wearing some high-waisted jeans. That's <laughs> like, a high-waisted. But, yeah, it's classic Dusty putting himself out there. Um Second fall, Luger um, um, wins that by DQ because he goes over the top rope. So right there, it isn't even like, you know, um, Luger didn't beat him 2-3 because Ron beat himself because he dumped him. And then Ron goes into the steps, and Luger ends up hitting the attitude adjustment pile driver kind of out of nowhere and pins him 1-2-3. And that's the end of the match. And it's the best match on the show. I think um, um, it's my it was my second favorite match on the show. Um, my favorite, my honestly, my favorite match on the show is probably Eaton and Taylor. But mine was until I watched this, and it wasn't even because these guys. I don't want to say it had a better wrestling match. It was just everything involved in it. Right, right. But overall, yeah, I mean, it was successful. It did everything it needed to do. Um, it established, Ron, like you said, with that first fall, you established Ron Simmons as a fucking contender, you know, and yeah. uh, very well done. And I, I wrote down here that politics, at the end of the day, politics made Ron Simmons one of WCW's missed opportunities. Yeah. Um, I think that... Because by the time he got to the WWF, the climate that was there, everything that was going on, I'm not saying the WWF misused him because I don't think they did. For every for what he was at that time in his career in that company, I don't think WWF ever misused him. No, I think, they got, I think, they, got they got him exactly. They got exactly what they should have got out of Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm. And Ron Simmons gave them exactly what they sh- what they needed. But at the age that he was between he ninety one, he couldn't have been. At, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you with the WWF thing, but when you like said the age, like I was going to say, at that time, he couldn't, he couldn't have been WWF champion. No, no, well, but what I was going to say going back, anyway, yeah, what I was going to say going back was 
to my previous point was the age that he was, the shape he was in, how over he was, and how talented he was from 91 to 94. And I know they, I know Bill Watts put the belt on him, but that's why I said politics ruined it because Bill Watts knew what to do with him. And if they would have, if they would have just, if they would have just let him stay at that top tier and not taken him down like they did, he could have been, first of all, he could, he would have stayed longer and he could have been a, a, a big part of a better main event picture, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would have much rather see Hulk Hogan versus Ron Simmons in, in 1994 Starcade. <laughs> but Hulk Hogan ruined that, too. <laughs> Fuck you, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't want to work with Ron. People talk about him not wanting to work with, like, Rick Rude and, 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 and Big Van Vader. They, they wanted him to work with Ron Simmons and Rick, Rick Flair said it. Rick Flair went to Ron Simmons or Ron Simmons went to Rick Flair and said, Hey, I heard you, uh, you didn't want to work with me. And that's why they, he's like, I wanted to work with you. And he's like, Hogan. He's like, I heard Hogan say, I don't want to work with Ron Simmons. Hogan didn't want to work with the dudes that he was afraid of. Right. Like, oh man, I ain't gonna work with fucking Vader or Rick Rude or Ron Simmons or he's like Rick, Rick, he's like Rick Rude's wanted to potato me for years, brother. Yeah, it's, Did they out. ever even work together, Hogan probably, and Rude? Probably at some point. I've never seen it. I'm sure they have somewhere. At some but, point. I'll look for it. I don't I don't go to bed till like four o'clock in the morning. I'll find it. <laughs> Well, that is it. Halloween Havoc 1991. And I got to say, I gave the show, and I always do, you know, out of five, just as a fun little deal. I gave the show two out of five. I gave it two and a half stars, and it was a. For, for everything you want to say about the Chamber of Horrors match, it was like we were talking about. Before it's a train wreck, but it's a fun train wreck. Now, <laughs> uh, Bobby Eaton and Terry Taylor was fun. You know the the tag team match was good. the The thing that hurt this show is that fucking little middle run, man. Oh my god! With Kazmaier and Oz and Van Hammer and Summers, Summers and, and it was like, oh my god, what are we watching? <laughs> I just had Johnny Bad and fucking Jimmy Jam Garvin. What the fuck is going on? It's like they put like a WCW Worldwide in the middle of that fucking pay per view. But uh, at the end of the day, it's still more fun to watch than anything we get presented nowadays. Yes. All right. Well, that is it for the Halloween Havoc 1991 edition of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. And, uh, I didn't do it at the beginning of the show, so I'll do it now. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned to the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network. All of these shows are going to be coming at you. I'm going to be tired, but it's going to be worth it. Of course, you have the We Can't Wrestle Podcast and Reliving the Extreme. And also coming soon, right now actually, if you go onto any podcast app that you're using whether it be Apple, whether it be Podcast Addict, anything, you can actually search for Maximum Gold 
and uh, myself and David Gold. I have all the episodes of that show up now for you to av- to listen to. Um, and there are more coming of that show. Aaron's show, the year that was that was on that was on the WrestleNet radio station, is also going to become a podcast. Uh, we're talking 1997 right now on that show. Week to week, Aaron reviews the TVs, and if there is a pay per view um, going on that week, recaps them for us. We all give our opinions. The year that was is a great show, and another show that's great. Our buddy Archie Mitchell, and that's our modern product show for the week, the uh, WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network. Archie every week with "If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking," talking about AEW, NXT, whatever's going on in the modern product that week. And it's you know what he does? Yeah, it's got the highest production values. But my show would have good production values too if I had Archie Mitchell money, but I don't. <laughs> so I'm, I gotta just, give- I'm just back here putting it together. In my in my basement <laughs> with the rats, with the rats and stuff. But Archie's up there in the clouds putting his shit together. <laughs> um, I got to give Archie props though. He does his show Joey Styles style. He's he's solo. He does an hour by himself. It's because nobody wants to be on it. <laughs> and of course, sorry, we also have, <laughs> we're just he knows we're just joshing. You're just jashy. And, uh, of course, I will also have my show, The Year That Was. Or, no, that's your show. My show is Slice of Time. I'm trying (laughs) to scoop my heat. Where we talk about the news and notes and results from 25 years ago behind the scenes in professional wrestling. And it's always fun to do the indie results as well. So stay tuned for all of those shows on the We Can't Wrestle Podcast Network. They will all have their own podcast feed that is coming within the next week. I'm almost done. Got them almost done. And that is coming to you, to your ears, and uh, if you will. So everybody, thank you for joining us, Aaron. Any salud for our listeners this week? Just thanks for listening. Um, We can't wait to impregnate your ears. With our with our love that we put into our podcast, you may you may have to knock some podcasts off your yeah. listenership. By the time you're done listening to the year that was, there will be a baby in you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you next week on the We Can't Wrestle podcast.